People were even saying binge eating doesn't exist, you're just being greedy. Some people were even saying diabetes doesn't exist. That was the most challenging thing to overcome and what that took for me to turn away and start to just enjoy being a diabetic person who binges, like find enjoyment in that path. The high was when I came back from that meeting with my friend and I realized if I need to get a babysitter to feed me, I'm eating the wrong food. That was liberation. Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based News Podcast, the go-to source for the latest in vegan news and ethical perspectives. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie, and today we have a truly inspiring story to share. Joining us is Joe Best, a passionate advocate for the plant-based lifestyle. Joe's journey is nothing short of remarkable. After a decade-long quest for health solutions, he found his answer in the plant-based diet. This powerful lifestyle change helped Joe conquer binge eating, shed an incredible 100 pounds, and most impressively, reverse his insulin resistance, a key factor in his battle with type 2 diabetes. In today's episode, hosted by plant-based news founder Klaus Mitchell, we'll dive deep into Joe's transformative journey. We'll explore how the switch to a plant-based diet not only revolutionized his physical health, but also brought profound changes to his mental and emotional well-being. Joe's story is a testament to the healing power of plant-based nutrition and its potential to turn around lives. So whether you're a long-time vegan, considering a plant-based lifestyle, or simply curious about the health benefits it can offer, this episode promises to be both enlightening and inspiring. So stay tuned, and we'll discuss the challenges, triumphs, and insights from Joe Best's incredible journey into health and wellness. As always, if you like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do go and give us a review there. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Joe, it's fantastic to be here with you. I've been obviously following you online for a number of years now and I've kind of seen the highs and lows of your journey. Do you want to give a little bit of an introduction? So my name's Joe and I have been on a very long and amazing journey with diabetes and binge eating, the, the two pillars that are very difficult to, to manage. Sometimes us diabetics get ourselves into a lot of trouble. We either eat something that we didn't know how much sugar it contained, or more likely we ate something knowing how much sugar it contained, but we just switched off our protective system. Whatever the case is, it is, we can end up with really high blood sugar. I'm talking 300, 400, 500. Mine has even been as high as 800 after these things. And when that happens, you can't eat, but you're hungry. The insulin makes you more hungry, the high insulin makes you more hungry. You don't feel satiated, but if you eat anything, your blood sugar is gonna get even higher. So you need something you can eat that can counteract this. I used to be a banker. I used to work for Goldman Sachs, and that in itself is quite an amazing story. But I ended up at Goldman Sachs, and over that period of, of eight to 10 years, I just started gaining weight over that time. And at some point, it got to, the, got to a level where I was diagnosed with diabetes. I was in my house, I felt very, very thirsty and delirious, and I didn't know what was going on. It was very late at night, one in the morning, so I went to a 24-hour pharmacy over by in a place called Paddington, and I went there, and they checked my blood sugar, and it was about 800. So they immediately said, go to the hospital, which I did. Went to the hospital, and they said, right, this is an emergency because they take it quite seriously. And they put me on insulin and they gave me a hospital bed. I knew nothing about diabetes at that point. And the first thing that happened was the next morning, someone came in and checked my blood sugar and it was high. Then another person came in who's the person who brings food and they brought me toast and Weetabix and they brought me just English breakfast stuff. 
And then the other person come and measured my blood sugar about an hour later and said it's very high and gave me insulin. And they did it again at lunch and again at dinner. And after about three days, I was like, this is nonsense. This is, this is like, you're literally, you're giving me food that's making my blood sugar go high and then you're measuring it and then you're injecting me with insulin. And I said to the lady at the time, and this is 20 years ago, things have improved, but I said, do you have a diabetic diet? And back then they would say, no, there's no diabetic diet. You are diabetic and we give you medication to solve it, which is very different today. So I checked myself out. Three days of that, I just walked out of the hospital. They told me that I shouldn't go, and I said, I'm not staying here. And that began my inquiry into what this was. And it just took me a very, very, very long time to figure this out because there wasn't much information then. When I did figure things out, I couldn't do it because I'm, I had this binge eating affliction. So it was like the way to solve this, I knew in my mind the way to solve this was through diet, and what's the one thing I can't control, which is diet, right? So it's like ride down the hill on this bicycle and you'll be free, but you've got a bicycle that when you turn this way, the wheel goes that way. So it was just such a conundrum. So I figured I'd take you on a little bike ride uh, in my local area. So what I wanted to talk about today was what does it really mean to be a diabetic? We think we know because we hear the word. Diabetes, having diabetes is literally your body telling you that you can't participate in modern man-made food. It doesn't want you eating it. In this way, is diabetes a good or bad thing? Diabetes is either a bully that's telling you you can't eat that. You're not allowed to have ice cream, chocolate, biscuits, bread in their man-made <coughs> conventional forms. Or it's a good friend telling you the same thing. And this one little factor is what defines your whole mindset about being a diabetic. Is it the friend that you really need, steering you clear, foods that harm in ways other than diabetes, or is it that mean person keeping you away from your treats? Now, the reality is you can flip between the two. Sometimes, especially early on, it did feel like, man, this is just a nightmare. I'm not allowed to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it anyway. I'm not allowed to have it, I'm gonna have it anyway. And then not only that, there's this, there's this um, addictive side, which is often under, examined which is the part that keeps you really glued so even if you do make the choice that you're not going to eat that food you're still going to feel compelled to but ultimately diabetes is just a close friend that's telling you you can't eat it whether you are addicted or not it's got nothing to do with diabetes that's a whole other thing so i guess what happened with me is i is i had this addiction i had this understanding that diabetes was a, a, a helpful warning to my body but i felt frustrated because i could never I could never make myself stick to a diet that worked. I guess the first question would be, what makes you uniquely positioned to provide this information? And I guess if you could just talk about your, your story a little bit, that would be great. In 1999, I got uh, an ulcer and I was working as a trader in Goldman Sachs. And I had a thing called high H. pylori, which, is, which creates ulcer-like symptoms. And I'm sitting at my desk and I'm at Goldman Sachs and we had free food all day. They come around in the morning, they give you a massive menu, you took off whatever you want, they, they just bring you food. Because of this way this is, when I digest food it hurts, when I eat the pain stops. So I started gaining loads of weight because I'm eating to stop the pain of the last meal. So now I'm in this loop. I asked a friend of mine, she was an ex-partner, my first, first vegan girlfriend. And when I met her, 
She told me she was vegan. This is 10 years before or so. I said, where's that? I thought it was a place, I kid you not. So anyway, she said to me, go to Koh Samui and do a fast and a cleanse. I went there and it's the whole story about some places that I tried, but I ended up at a place called the Dharma Healing Center with Hilary and Greg, who were old school raw fooders, been doing it 40 years in Koh Samui. And I walked in there and they said, do you know you're supposed to eat your food raw? And it just struck me as a truth. So I got into the whole raw food thing, went back to London, started looking online, found a group of people, early pioneer raw foods, the Fresh Network, a whole bunch of people. We started all hanging out together in London and around. There was maybe a hundred of us all doing raw food. From there, I went on a journey where I went raw, raw food, raw gourmet. I met Doug Graham, I hang out with him. I learned about fruitarian lifestyle. There were these two competing camps, David Wolf and raw food, Doug Graham and fruitarian, and they really didn't like each other. And I, I knew both of them. And I went for that process and I went through almost every kind of plant-based diet and non-plant-based diets that you can imagine over the course of 20 years. So I've tried it all. I've tried it all deeply, intimately. I've also failed at it all because that's also valuable information. I've had times when I've been successful. So I know these diets inside out from my personal perspective. And what would you say caused your diabetes? Was it the, the high meat diet or would you say it's part of a, a wider culture? For example, you're a banker, so you might be in like a high stress environment which may have contributed. Yeah, so when it comes to, to diabetes, I've got a little bit of a different take to, it's not too different, but it's a little bit different, which is I don't consider diabetes to be a disease. I consider diabetes, the effects of diabetes is a disease. But what diabetes for me is, how I look at it, it's a reaction to man-made food. Everybody gets a reaction to man-made food. If you took a hundred people and you fed them as an extreme, you fed them on fast food from birth, maybe 30 would get diabetes, 20 might get arthritis, 30 might get cancer, 30 might over become overweight. I know it adds up more than 100, but we're all overlapping here. So that is, these, are, these are effects of a man-made diet. A lot of that wouldn't appear if we lived a, a natural diet in nature. So, so these are reactions. So I don't consider it a disease. I'm one of the people where when I eat man-made food, I react, my body reacts by becoming diabetic, producing the effect of diabetes. And that is how I think these things come about. So to reverse, to sort of cause of it, is eating a man-made diet. But it, it, the animal fats are, I, I can't give you numbers, but I would say they're 10 times as more potent at mm. causing diabetes than plant-based fats. I actually believe if you was born on a plant-based diet and you ate lots of plant-based fats, you would never become diabetic. But once you're diabetic from animal fats, trying to change the diabetes to, to have this, this mechanism go away, you, you've got to cut the, the plant-based fats as well. And once, once that's done for a while, you can bring them back. Is that clear? Because it can be quite confusing. But. So would you say plant-based diet has saved your life or are there any other factors? The, the, I, I would absolutely say the plant-based diet saved my life because that is where the rubber meets the road, is that you're putting that food in your body. But there's so much more around it and a lot of people come under a lot of pressure 
trying to adopt this diet because one of the things we do as humans is we project onto everybody else our own experience. So if I find it easy, why don't you find it easy? But I have to say this was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. For a while you start to feel quite embarrassed, like why do I find it so easy? But when you look into the research behind it, you start to understand that people have different hormonal drivers, I won't use technical terms because I never remember them, but like your dopamine, serotonin, reward system, behavior, it's different for everybody. So to dial it down to your question, what really saved my life was me persistently finding a way to overcome extremely strong cravings in the face of people not understanding what's going on and thinking you're just being lazy or you don't care about animals or whatever it is. But it's really, it's a personal journey to be able to understand your own triggers, your own uh, sense of desire for different foods and working with that to be able to eat what you want to eat that you know will make you well. So what you're gonna end up with is two big piles of food. One is raw food and one is food that you're going to cook in a very special way. So, for the raw food, you need a big bowl, bigger than your head. Remember that you want something that's gonna fill you up because you're hungry, it's gonna stop the binge eating, and it's gonna neutralize the blood sugar. So, big bowl, big as your head, at least. Okay, and then how we're gonna cook the food is we're gonna cook it using a steamer because it retains all the water. We want the water, the nutrients, and the fiber. And when you steam it, it does that. It doesn't make it so bad as if you grill off or worse, fry it. It's not quite good as raw, but it's not as bad as raw food advocates make you think. Steamer, big as your head. There we go, looking great. Steamer. Okay, we're ready. Now a really important part that I never used to do is tidy up before you eat. I absolutely love steamers. They're so easy to use. 10 minutes. While we're waiting, I put a little bit of seasoning in the salad. This is just some herbs, curried tofu. So now what I've got is I've got a big salad, steamed veg, grilled tofu curry. I've got toppings and I've got pickles and mustard. Oh yes, I mean look at it, it's amazing, mmm, oh, it's so good, it's life saving, it really is. Is it true or false? You, you believe that a low fat vegan diet is, is great but your main message, your main thing is to get people to shift from animal fat, animal protein to plant based diet, right? The main thing, that's a very good way to put it concisely because it's quite elaborate for me because I've been so close to it. The main cause of diabetes is combining animal fats with carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Those two together are, I consider to be the sad diet, and that, is, that, that will create diabetes. The simplest solution to try if you're new is to swap out all of the animal-based fats. But if you've been doing it for a long time and you've been diabetic for more than, a, say, three years, two years, you've got to go for a low-fat, plant-based diet for a while. But then once you've done that, a lot of people don't realise this, you can start bringing back the fats. And let's talk about where you are now. So 
you've successfully tackled this yeah. this chronic illness what does a typical breakfast lunch and dinner look like for you at the moment right okay so my my diet's quite fluid and um and i think this is really helpful for people to do this because if you become too rigid in your program it starts to impact you emotionally and socially so when i have control and this is what i teach people who learn from me when I have control of my space, so I'm back at home in Thailand in my house, I have a, a heavy above ground vegetable, so above ground vegetable plant-based diet, meaning large bowls of steamed broccoli, cauliflower, greens, mushrooms, and things like this. I'll add to that smaller amounts of plant-based proteins and then sauces. It's very simple and I also eat fruits. Right? But when I first started doing it, I had to get rid of the fruits as well and most of the fat. But that's what I tend to eat now. But I've come to, come to the UK. I'm hanging out with my family. I'm hanging out with friends. And I've been going through quite, quite an ex extensive gourmet feast because England's become amazing for vegan food. Like, it's everywhere. And I've really enjoyed it. And my blood sugar's fine. If I carried on doing this for me, the way my body reacts, like six months... I'd get into a lot of trouble, I think. Not a lot of trouble, but I'd probably start drifting a higher HbA1c. So when I control my life, I eat bowls of vegetables. They take me five minutes to make. I put big bowl of vegetables, sauce, and a side of vegan protein. And I call it plant healed. And it's just the formula that I come up with that allowed me to overcome my addictions and overcome diabetes, which are two different things that require two different processes. So I'm just going to quickly add this in. On the side of binge eating, which is what I suffered with, you want to increase your choice of foods to break these locks around limited extreme diets. To become diabetic free, you've got to move towards a very limited extreme diet if you're really diabetic as I was. And these things combat. And so all the time that you knew me on YouTube, I'm swinging between these. I would go into one of these extreme vegan diets and my diabetes would improve, but then I would start getting lots of cravings. Then it would collapse and I would swing all the way back to much more rich food. Then my diabetes would get worse and it was just boing, boing, boing. And I couldn't find a way out. And this plant healed process was a way out because it was large amounts of food, which helps with the binge eating, but it's completely empty calories. And then I started making it really stimulative with lots of chili and peppers, which really helps with the satiation. And then a little bit of plant-based protein for entertainment. I know it sounds weird, but when you go vegan, there's no middle, right? With traditional diets, there's always a middle, steak and chips beef bolognong, there's always the middle. When you go plant-based, you're like, well, where's the middle? I have always have a side of this protein because it's just for fun. And then this was what worked and it worked pretty quickly. And what do you say to people that say, well, you can't, it's hard to be vegan, but you can if you have loads of tempeh, like loads of tofu, loads of these high protein foods. You're actually like, that's not necessary the whole time, but you have, you dabble with those foods kind of like as a little bit of condiment and entertainment, right? I absolutely feel that the whole of the way in which nutrition has been examined scientifically through nutrition, there obviously is some value to this, but I'm not seeing anybody generally becoming unwell who have access to 
a small variety of plant-based foods. You do come across these afflictions in countries where people are starving, but no one in the West is becoming sick because they didn't have enough beans or they had, didn't have enough of anything really. It's mostly because of overconsumption. So I just think if you're not already unwell, then pretty much any plant-based diet that is, is, is whole foods is going to do you well. Even if you was to put some man-made foods in there, you'll be fine. The word I came up with to describe this concept is carbability. And it's a nice word because people have different levels of carbability. If I'm diabetic, my carbability is so small that I eat a potato and my carb stores, which is what, 500 grams a pound, mm -hmm. right, it's full. I have the insulin resistance, so once I've eaten a few potatoes and I've got the fat in the cells, I have very low carbability, so the, my blood sugar starts to go up, which is the overflow. An athlete, they can eat the carbohydrates, which is what we was doing when we was all in Thailand, eat as much as you can. That works if you're an athlete because your cells are clear, you've got low levels, you've got high insulin efficiency, so your carbability is massive. So my point is this, if you've got low carbability, you can't go in to these high carb diets and try and find a way out because you'll just be getting sick. And that's what happened to me. I started to burn out my pancreas trying to force in carbohydrates on the basis that as long as I cut the fat, I'll get well. So it depends on the individual and your know. And what I've noticed is that when I went onto this vegetable, it's a low carb diet in a way, with also low fat, so it's a bit of a trick. I'm eating big meals that throughout the day might be 2,000 calories, but I'm not thinking that because the body doesn't really register calories as much. And what would happen is my carbability would start increasing. And I'd think, oh, I really fancy a couple of dates. I'd eat them, nothing would happen. And I'm like, wow. But if I did it for a few days, it would start going up. And I thought, oh, this is, this is how I improve my carbability. And that is what you need to do to not be diabetic. You need to get to the point where you've restored your ability to process carbohydrates, because that's the part that gets damaged. Adopting a plant-based diet is the best decision I've ever made for my health. I am thriving on a plant-based diet. I have everything I need to succeed. I love my whole food plant-based diet. So the advice that we've heard over the last 20-30 years from plant-based doctors and certainly in the last 10 years from a lot of the vegan community online is you just need to carb up and you need to be really low fat. Are you saying that's true? I think what you're saying is it's more nuanced than that, right? Yeah, it's, new. It, 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 it's where you're at and how long do you need to do that for? This was always, the, the issue that we have is when people present these healing diets, they make it a forever diet, but it's nothing, it, everything is always changing. Right? And it was like you, you, you had to become the identity of that diet. If you was, I don't know, raw fooder, I'm a raw fooder, rather than I'm eating raw food right now. If you become high carb, I'm a high carber. It was all these permanent identities, but everything's always changing. So it's just where you are and how do you get out of that and then 
do some healing, because your carbon, which was never talked about because I just made it up, well, not just now, but I thought about it, as your carbability increases, you get more ability to be able to eat carbs and fats because your ability to process it becomes better. But you can't go all the way into that, but you can have quite a nice, enjoyable, because fat's very satiating. You can bring in enough fat to enjoy it. I remember at one point there was a massive argument over an avocado. <laughs> right because someone started adding avocado like one or half of one to their high carb diet and it called ruckus and I do that all the time right now but if I notice it's not working I'll simply so, so to answer your question very clearly no there is no permanent way to eat that you need to do to fix this you need to look at where you are and what do you need to do to heal your diabetes. And one thing I'll add to that, when it comes to this reaction that people have to diabetes that I spoke of earlier, that I call it a reaction, every human, and this is, there's a, there's a I never remember names or, of anything, it's not, not my, 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 my finger, but people can Google it. There is a scientist in the UK who did studies on diabetics and he discovered that every diabetic person has a point, a fat percentage above which they become diabetic. For some people, it could be 350 pounds. So they might never trigger the diabetic response. And some unfortunate people who are type two diabetics but lean, their trigger to become insulin resistant could be 170 pounds. But once you get below that, the response stops happening. I've discovered for me, it's about 220 pounds, which is why I'm 220 pounds. Because <laughs> once I stop being diabetic and then come to England, I'm having a yummy time. But to be even more safer, I'd probably want to get below 200 pounds. So it's that line. Most people will, might not, you can't really predict it, but you'll notice it. So do you think weight status is the most important thing then in terms of tackling type 2 diabetes? Because my understanding of it was people can be obese and then they go on a certain protocol, intervention, diet, and then they can still technically be overweight but have massive success uh, reversing or tackling their type 2 diabetes by removing a lot of the, the fat, specifically animal fat, from their diet. Um, but are you saying, actually, whilst that is kind of true, weight status being like normal weight is the most important thing or, or both important? No, so it's two separate things and both can be true at the same time, right? And I agree with both of them. So I, I got my diabetes under control at around 2.35. It started to feel like it was easier. I've even got it under control sometimes at like 250 pounds. I was quite surprised that I could get my diabetes looking better while I was still technically obese. What I'm saying is that when you get below the level of which your diabetes is being triggered, you can eat pretty much high fat, high carb diet, like, like someone who's not diabetic and sort of be okay. I don't recommend it, right? But I, I didn't have Christmas because I was in Thailand. I had Christmas just now in Newcastle with my brother's family and they were we was it I was eating everything and I checked my blood sugar every day it was never above 5.1 UK vegan food is just mental I was having vegan cheesecake vegan biscuits vegan oat milks just I just like took off all the breaks because I think it's very good emotionally to do that with your diet nothing happened because I'm no longer 
above the level of which I'd be diabetic. And I didn't even put on any weight. Yeah. Which, if I was back at 280 pounds, 260 pounds, I would have put on 20 pounds that week, easily. Because the insulin goes high, you can't process fat when you have high insulin, and I'd have ballooned out. But once you get down to lean levels, whatever your lean level is, you can start breaking rules. But it's, it's kind of dangerous. You don't want to do it too much. You've still got to be responsible. But there is a level, so both are true. There's a level below which you can get back to eating normally. Don't recommend it, but you can. And if you're very obese right now, you might be able to just cut the fat out of your diet and wait a while and you'll start to see your blood sugar improve even while you're still obese. So both are true. And so can you just talk about what happened then when you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes because i remember start, i started following you in i think 2013 um, or 2014 when you're in thailand but you'd had diabetes before that so if you could just talk about your journey a little bit that'd be great one of the things that was important for me with the diabetes was i didn't want to take any medication because i was dealing with both diabetes and binge eating i know myself and this is what takes a lot of courage i know if i was given insulin i would literally eat to the max and use insulin to cope, right? That's what I would have done. So I refused any medication. So I needed a, a replacement for insulin. And I came up with the idea of using cycling. And I was in Goa, which is not somewhere where you can ride a bike. And I'd, been, I'd left England and I'd been traveling around the world trying to find a solution. I went USA, India, I went everywhere basically. And I'm in India and I asked this girl, where can I go where there's a flat, warm city that I can ride a bike? And she said Chiang Mai, and I'd never even heard of it. I was always going to Thailand to the beaches. I looked it up, I thought this would look great, and I started booking my flight. And while I was doing that, I saw that there was a cycling and raw food festival in Chiang I was like, this is destiny, <laughs> right? So I booked it, 2014, I went to Chiang Mai, and the reason that the initial reason was I knew if I could ride around on a bicycle between meals, it's just going to make my life a lot easier. And that's why I ended up in, in Thailand. And then I just discovered it was great for fruits, great for vegetables. And it was just a, a nice place to be. So that's how I ended up being there. And how long has it taken for you to understand what's the actual way you can heal your type 2 diabetes? Because this has been a bit of a journey, right? When it comes to learning about your own diabetes, you're in it for life. There is no breaks. There's no days off, you are in it for life. It's waiting all the time to create harm. But I started to look at it that this is the greatest coach and teacher I will ever come across, which is the duality of binge eating and diabetes. Because if you don't sort the binge eating, you're going to die. It's, it's not a vanity game. This isn't about, I want to look better. This is, if you don't do this, you'll be getting amputated at some stage and then you will die of a heart attack, 100%, right? So I just decided that this was going to be my coach for life. And it, so it's taken me forever to do this. I, I, it took me 15 years to even understand what I had. Because <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. They don't, they don't know a bit more, more now, but 20 years ago, they don't know. And it's taken me all of this time to figure it out myself because you don't really get, there is a lot more support now, but there wasn't at the time. So it took me about 15 years, even just to begin to understand what was going on. The solution I ended up coming at was a combination and an improvement for me on everything I'd ever learned. 
And what it was is I needed to have food that I could eat a lot of. So I went for vegetables because vegetables are the bulkiest, lowest calorie, lowest carbohydrate, lowest sugar foods, above ground vegetables. This is the, the phrase that I arrived at. And then I needed something that would be stimulative so that I could be not, not be bored with my food. So I started using lots of spices. So big vegetable bowls with spices that I could eat as much of, I could truly eat. Because a lot of people tell you, you, can eat as, you can't eat as much as what you want of fruit, but vegetables you can. And there was very big bowls. And then I wanted something that was entertaining. So I started adding very small amounts of plant-based protein that would be pretty much predominantly grilled. And then I would make a sauce. And I first started off with five or six bottles of brown mustard. <laughs> and I just made mounds of this, this food and I would cover it in mustard and I would have this small bowl of plant-based protein on the side that, and I would eat the whole thing with chopsticks. And that over the course of six to eight months just er eradicated, well the blood sugar went down very quickly, but this one also took the weight with it. And that's how I solved this. And why is this taking so long? Because people watching this will be thinking, okay, he's talking about how he's been on this, this new intervention of like high vegetable, low fat plant-based diet for the last six, nine, 12 months. But they'll remember you from, from YouTube eight or nine years ago. I spent years trying to change. So the, there is, an, there is an, an evolution that goes along with this, where you become better at managing yourself. So that is the fundamental basis of this. So you may not be at the level of self-control that you can overcome this right away, but you have to keep trying. And for me, I noticed my power to change kept increasing. But what really did it was when the whole thing that happened where we weren't allowed to go out or travel or all that stuff, I pretty much ignored it. I was living in Chiang Mai and I was going around on my bicycle doing my kind of thing. There was, for some things were closed, but it didn't really impact me. And then one of my friends in England got very, very, very unwell, seriously unwell. And it made me take it seriously because I trust her information. And she said to me, if you are diabetic, if you are African descent, if you have low vitamin D, if you are obese, if you have a high CRP index, which is about heart health, you're in the high risk category of having a very bad outcome for that whole thing. And I was like, well, she's really smart. And I, I rate her. I researched it, got all my blood work done. My vitamin D was 17, which is really low. Like all the bad outcomes, low vitamin D. My, I was obese, I was overweight, diabetic. My HbA1c was about eight at the time. And I came up with this word, I said, you know what? This whole thing has cost me so much in my life, my career, my like, relationships, my health. So what I did, I decided that I was going to become hug-proof. I know it's really quite funny, right? So I'm in Chiang Mai and there was lots of issues around the world at that time. And one of them was to do with communities turning on each other. And that simultaneously happened in Chiang Mai as I'd found this information out. So I was like, you know what, why don't I just do a year on my own? I, I quite like meditating, I'm into spirituality, my whole community has gone through some kind of kerfuffle and I need to fix this 
to become hug proof. So I decided I've got this big house that used to be a retreat center. It's now just me. So I did my own retreat. I, the first six months, it didn't work because I'm trying to do the whole fruit thing or high carb, all this kind of stuff. And it's just not, I'm, I'm getting, I'm gaining weight. My blood sugar's not coming down because of the carbability issue, which basically means you can't, you, you try to get this food in and you're reacting so much, it just doesn't work quick enough. So I thought, I don't know what to do. I'm trying everything, it's still not working. Then a very really lovely raw food coach came into Chiang Mai. She said, hey, are you around? And I'd not seen anybody for six months. And I was like, you know what? I'll meet up. We met in the park and I was telling her about how I'm struggling to do the diet that, that she teaches, which is what you see around the vegan communities, high raw, uh, high carb, raw fruit, etc. And she said, what you've got to do is you've got to find someone that you can hire and they can come to your house and they can make your food and they can give you a timetable and they can do three meals a day and like that. And I was like, oh, that's, a, that's a really good idea. I can do that. I'll, I'll do that. And I went home and I was like, you know what? If I need a babysitter to come and feed me this food, it can't be the right diet for me. So I, I went 180 degrees. And in the past, I would have always already followed that because I was committed to that way. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw everything out and I'm going to start again. And I thought, right. I've got this ADHD thing which makes making food really hard, right? Because you're just not planned enough. So all of the raw food world was out for me because that requires planning, timing, lots of equipment, out. The fruit, if I eat it, I gain weight. I don't care what anyone says that you can't gain weight on fruit. You, if you're diabetic, you can, right? Because you cannot lose weight under high insulin. I said fruit's out. So no raw food, gourmet stuff, no fruit. Right, what about normal vegan? Right, okay, I can do that, but it doesn't make me well as I was. And I thought, what do I really like? I like mustard. It sounds so basic. I like mustard, so mustard on the table. For how do I like to feel after my meals? I like to feel full. So broccoli, cauliflower, aubergine, tomatoes, courgettes, everything like that. And I bought, it's really radical, I bought a steamer and I thought, okay, that's worked. And I started off with a bowl, it looked like a horse's trough. <laughs> it was so big. And I would fill it with this. I thought, right, it's not quite enough. What else do I need? Okay, I need something that's stimulating because these other foods, when, when you're hunting serotonin and dopamine which i'll talk about a little bit in a bit most people who are in some kind of addictive process they're having very low levels of serotonin dopamine and they're hunting it so when you're hunting that you keep getting drawn back to the most stimulative foods so i thought what can i do instead of that i'll make it really spicy so i started getting korean chilies and then i started getting things like nutritional yeast and pepper and taco seasoning and anything i could find that would give this this mound of vegetables a kick so that would go on top and then i'm eating it. i'm like right i used to like eating animal foods right i used to like eating meat and burgers and stir fries and this kind of stuff and i thought well that's why i don't can't do the fruit diet because it's literally, it's so unstimulating, because it's our natural diet, our, our pure natural diet is fruit. 
it's so unstimulating, but it's too much of a jump to go to. So I thought, what can I do to make like foods that I used to enjoy? I started off with tofu, chuck it in a bowl, put some marinade on it and air fry it. Then I thought, wait there, I'm in Chiang Mai. You can get mushroom meat here. So I started going to the vegan shops and buying like five packets of half a kilogram each mushroom meat, which is absolutely d delicious. Yes, it's got soy sauce in it and a bit of salt, but that's not what's making me diabetic. So I started arming with those. Then I Googled and I found out how to make my own mushroom meat using, I can't remember the name of them, but these chunky mushrooms. So, that, so now I had a variety of these meat-like things. See, it's not meat that, that I crave, it's the, it's the salty, hot, flavorful modules. <laughs> I don't know what to call them, right? So now I've got this thing, which is a big bowl for stomach satiation, because it's big food. That's very low in calorie. Then I've got the stimulative sauces and chilies and stuff to give this serotonin satisfaction. Right, and then I've got this entertainment because it's entertainment of this meat-like thing, and the reason why I say it's entertainment because that's what chimpanzees do. They live off a fruit-based diet, but they get together and they all get a bit excited and they hunt the monkey and they it's not filling them up, and they all share it. It's an entertainment thing, bad for the monkey, right? But that's what chimpanzees do, and I was like, right, I need that there. So now I've got this bowl and it's three circles one big one for the vegetables little one for the sauce and a medium-sized one for the protein and I just started doing that and what happened was very interesting the bowl started off like that big right a full salad bowl and over a period of time they started doing that why because I'm hitting all of the nutritional requirements and everything's calming down right and it just shrunk to regular sized meals and I started having that three times a day. My blood sugar went completely normal. My HbA1c went down to 5.1 was the lowest. And at that point I started adding in little bits of fruit. And I started having sometimes fruit for breakfast instead. And there was absolutely perfect blood sugar. And I guess your message, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's morphed from over the last 10 years, high carb, low fat, kind of plant-based diet to now high vegetable and that's the focus low fat plant-based diet and it's this shift that's transformed your life right so yes from the perspective of where i am right now what got me out of the quagmire of diabetes was a low fat low carb diet right because above ground vegetables are low carb it didn't work if i put in sweet potatoes it didn't work if i put in rice it didn't work at first if I put in too many beans. So I was so diabetic for so long that I needed to do something that would allow me to, to not eat carbs and also to not eat fats, but be full. And it worked. So to clarify this, the biggest myth was that everybody has the same metabolism. That is where I think the biggest confusion and the biggest harm is done by telling people to eat as much as you can. Because some people that can be damaging and some people it doesn't even touch the sides. So for me, it was extremely damaging because my metabolism was so destroyed that eating as much as I want would always make me very diabetic. So to clarify, when you're that deep into this process with diabetes, 
this, what is quite extreme, diet is what's needed. But what the point I want to emphasize is as you start to heal, as you start to increase your capacity to consume carbs, as you become less fat in the cells, the more fat you can have in your diet, the more gentle it becomes. So you're not stuck on this thing forever. You've got to use this as the way out. Imagine that it's like this. We're all in different areas of this garden. Someone is here and they just walk out. And someone is in the bushes here, then they just walk out. I'm literally behind that, right at the back, behind all these woods. I've got to find a different way out. But once we're all here, we're all here. And that's what it is. The, the, the whole problem with the diabetic vegan movement was, it was it's being sold as one process for everyone. And it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. You've got to look at how diabetic are you? How responsive are you to the program you're being given? So some people, they go on fruits, they eat fruits, and the diabetes goes away, they're like magic. Or they crash on potatoes and they eat loads of rice and it goes away quite quickly. They might have only been diabetic six months or a year, but if you've been in this a long time, that's gonna make you pass out, which is what used to happen to me. And do you think the mistake you made was you took a kind of vegan athlete diet and then tried to apply it to uh, a type two diabetic? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, well, well I'm gonna rephrase it slightly differently. Everybody loves being told they can eat as much as they want, particularly a binge eater. That was so appealing to me. And I'm not the only one that's ever said this. And I'm sitting there in London and I'm, being, I'm, I'm learning that I can eat as much as I want. And a lot of people put a lot of science behind it. You can never get fat eating carbs, right? And stuff like this. It's just not true. I actually went through this very funny experiment research. I looked at these plant-based diet, gets rid of diabetes. And I love these people, but just be clear, Neil Bernard, plant-based diet, gets rid of diabetes, McDougal. So I got their programs and I looked at the recipes and they were 1700 calories for the day. So do you think the people that you were in Chiang Mai with, they took that message from plant-based doctors over the last 10, 20, 25 years and then misinterpreted it? So what happened is another athlete who's a good friend of mine, Doug Graham, who came up with the 80-10-10. I knew him when he was writing his book. We used to hang out in Surrey at his place and he was all about eat as much calories as you can. When I went to visit him, I was probably 320 pounds, and when I showed up, he said, I've been working out for two hours just so that we can work out together and it's kind of close. And I was like, wow, and I, he's amazing. And his program does work if you are an athlete, but most people who aren't athletes, like myself, we take the good part of it that we think is good to eat as much as we can, and then we don't move, <laughs> right? So I, I had to make it more realistic. I'm not gonna go and run for two hours and so I can have a, a kilo of rice. I'm gonna look, and, and I saw it in Chiang Mai. People are like eating like athletes and only the athletes would actually do anything. And most people are sitting around in the park going, I can't wait for the next athlete meal. <laughs> They're not doing a thing. So is the following true or false? Because word on the street, the rumor is when everyone in Chiang Mai every morning used to wake up cycle to the top of the hill and then have the meet up at the top of the hill you put your bike in the taxi 
and then got a lift all the way to the top of the hill, had to meet up and then cycle down. <laughs> is that true or am I making that okay. up? Okay, that's not quite true. It was, not, it, was a bit it was a bit unfair that they said that. So what was happening is I used to cycle up all the way. It would take me two and a half hours to three hours. And I weighed twice as much as those dudes. So I was like 300 pounds, they were like 150. So I worked out, so what would happen is when I would get to the top, they'd all finished. The whole thing's ended, the, the, the party's finished. And I thought, you know what? It only takes them an hour to get up. So how far do I have to get a taxi up for it to take me an hour? <laughs> so I started getting a taxi halfway up. So that I would start when they're down there, they would all pass me and I would meet at the top with them. And I explained to them, I would weigh twice as much as you. So I'm burning the exact same amount of calories for you to go twice as far. But in that community, everything was an opportunity to take the most negative view of that. So that caused a lot of heat. But yeah, I did do that. And I'm totally proud of myself for being so ingenious. And over the last few years, there's been a few influencers and people that have struggled to stick to a plant-based lifestyle. What would you say about those people? Over the last 10 years, I've seen many, many people come out and say, I'm no longer eating a plant-based diet. And then they give a whole bunch of reasons that blame the diet. I sit there because I'm so intimately aware of the struggle with cravings. I sit there and I see people who have succumbed to cravings. I'm not saying they're being disingenuous. They may actually believe the reasons, but I've also worked with a lot of addicts. And one of the key things that addicts do is they lie to themselves. I'm just gonna have one. I'll quit tomorrow. This is the last time I'm doing that. So when you go onto a plant-based diet, you may have a high level of motivation in the beginning, but you've basically gone cold turkey on your cravings. For some people, their love of animals is so high that even in the face of those cravings, they will never turn back. And some people have lower levels of cravings. But the longer that you do it without a really strong reason, the more you'll face these cravings and you have to solve them. And if you don't, it's gonna start with something like, I'm gonna make a joke, I'll just stand next to an egg, or I'll look at a fish. Well, I'll just have a little bit of fish. I'll just have a little bit of egg. I'll just try that one thing at the barbecue because I'm feeling a bit weak and I need iron. So you just start searching out excuses. It's almost like if someone went from cold turkey smoking to breathing oxygen and they're saying, oh, I just need a little bit of nicotine just to get me over this little bit of stress. And they, they take it and they get a boost. So what happens is that when they have that old animal diet, the first thing they get is stimulation because a, an animal diet is more stimulative than a plant-based diet. And that stimulation feels good. Billy Colony, the comedian, he says, when I gave up alcohol, it was horrible. But when I had that first drink, it was amazing. And alcohol's a poison. And it's the same with these foods. Once you've, when you've not been having it for a while and you start craving it, when you eat it, it feels amazing. So it satisfies all your excuses. And the last thing I say on it is that because the addiction to food, it's like a quasi-addiction. It's so, and you have to eat. It's so fluid that it's not clear. If, if I'm smoking something very strong, I know when I've gone back. But with food, you've not gone back. You've just gone back to a different club. And all of these 
groups, all the doctors, all the hospitals don't think they're addicts. Nobody thinks they're an addict. So you've got to become so self-aware that, oh, I'm doing this for addiction. And when you do that, you can stay plant-based. It's got nothing to do with the nutrition and there's something in this and that. And they, they, none, It's none of that. It's just you got a craving and eventually you gave in. And that was it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But most people don't like to admit that, particularly when they're influences. They want to come across as winners. One of the weird things I did on my channel is I got a following by being, by losing, right? Most people, they want to be a winner. I, I'm, so they can't turn around and say, I failed a vegan diet because I had cravings. They have to say, I found something better. And there's one dude out there, I'm not going to say any names, but it was really funny. But what I noticed, whatever diet they was doing, that was the diet, like the best thing ever the best thing ever because they, they need to come across as this so those two things together to be seen to be winning so turning cravings into a win that's that's all it is and what would you say the lowest moment has been over the last 10 years if you had to pick like one thing or one event i don't have low moments i I've, i'm not even I'm not, i know no one believes me but I, I think it's all been incredible that's why i did this because i think that every single moment in life is an absolute gift and I don't say that lightly. And what do you say the highest moment has been over the last 10 years? I guess it's been in the last 12 months when you've successfully reversed your type 2 diabetes, right? So I'm going to give you a slightly different answer. So I don't really have high moments either. It's all equanimity. So what I'm going to answer you instead then is not what's high and low, but what has been the most challenging, because I think I can give you a more interesting answer. The most challenging was this infinite frustration of if I eat for diabetes, my binge eating starts, and if I eat for binge eating, my diabetes starts, and not knowing what to do, and having a whole audience telling me what to do but not, no one really looking into the situation. So I felt really on my own. It's like I'm being ridiculed at some stage for these things. Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? People were even saying binge eating doesn't exist. You're just being greedy. Some people were even saying diabetes doesn't exist. And I'm sitting there watching this thing and I, and I can't figure it out. That was the most challenging thing to overcome. And that, what that took, that took for me to turn away and start to just enjoy being a diabetic person who binges, like find enjoyment in that path. So that's why I solved that. The high was when I came back from that meeting with my friend and I realized, I mean, if, if I need to get a babysitter to feed me, I'm eating the wrong food. That was liberation. That was like, I can start from again. And I threw out everything I'd learned up until that point and looked at me. People often ask me, or I see people saying, can I eat this, can I eat that, can I eat this? I'm like, look at your meter. Because you can't say whether, like, can, can I eat this on this program? Can I eat that on this program? I say, it's not the program that's gonna tell you that, it's your blood sugar meter. Some people can do, they do great with sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes for me, it, it's just might as well be a bag of sugar. And not, they're really great. Not anymore I can eat it, but at the time, they were like a bag of sugar. So you've got, you've got to focus on yourself. So the, so the biggest liberation for me, the biggest high from a, from a practical standpoint was just discovering it's all in the bin and I'm starting again with a bottle of mustard and a bowl of broccoli. The biggest tip I can say to anyone who's on this path is you have to be really courageous to commit yourself 
to enjoying your life exactly as it is. You can't keep projecting into when I'm no longer diabetic or I hate being a diabetic or I hate being overweight or I can't do this because I'm too fat. I started a detox company when I was 320 pounds called I Detox Holidays, right? And I took athletes running in Cornwall. I was massive and I did that because a bit before then, this is about 2008, the big change for me in this whole process was I committed to enjoying my life as it is. And that is what fuels this because if you treat it as an affliction, you will burn out. But if you treat it as an adventure, it just keeps giving. It keeps giving. And that was the change for me. So, so, so you have to embrace that you're diabetic or if you're a binge, you have to embrace that and you have to treat this as an adventure and a puzzle that you will solve.